This is That's in the Bible.com. That's in the Bible, episode 52. It's still the blood. Troublesome times are here, filling men's hearts with fear. Freedoms we all hold dear, now is at stake. Humbling your hearts to God, saves from the chastening rod. Seek the way pilgrims trod, Christians away. Hello and welcome to That's in the Bible. This is Pastor Strobel and I'll be your guest host for today's program. Our regular host Eric is on assignment, but wait, don't turn the program off yet. His assignment is bringing the Bible study today. So Eric is indeed with us. Uh, Eric, why don't you say hello to our listeners and put their minds at ease. Yes, that's right. Hello, I'm still here and uh, it's just kind of refreshing to hear a new voice uh, begin the podcast. Amen. We also have with us today, Pastor Steve. Steve, uh, you are with us, aren't you? I am with you. Praise God. Amen. And back from his honeymoon is the newlywed. You know him as Matthew, a.k.a. the boy wonder. <laughs> Say hello to the nice people, Matt. Hello, nice people. <laughs> you know, um, an occasional guest on That's in the Bible, and he's not here tonight, but uh, is Pastor Matt. And I was thinking... If Matthew is the boy wonder, perhaps uh, we could call Pastor Matt, uh, Matt Man, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Probably the better question is, what will Pastor Matt think about it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could put that up as a uh, poll question on the website. <laughs> Amen. Uh, amen. Well, uh, each program, we like to give you an update on some of the things that uh, we have been up to, and I'm sure our listeners are anxious to hear from Matthew, since this is his first program as a brand new husband, and since he wasn't with us on our last program. So, Matthew, why don't you jump right in and give everybody a little update? Oh, amen. It's been a long time, but it's good to be back, and and uh, it's been real good. You know, uh, Jennifer, God has definitely blessed me with an amazing woman and uh, a woman that loves the Lord, and we just had a great time. Uh, the wedding went really well, and uh, we also uh, had a great honeymoon, went to uh, Lake Sherman, which is right near Lake George, and just relaxed, rode some horses, and, and just uh, took in the fresh air, and it was it was great. And uh, now back at work and all that, but, uh, you know, we've had a good time. We've been uh, trying to serve the Lord the best we can. And um, at the honeymoon, actually, we were able to witness to a couple people. That was pretty neat, uh, Stacy and Chris. And uh, and also we uh, had a blessing, too, when we were street preaching a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were able to, not us uh, per se, but a couple other people that were um, witnessing there at the street preaching were able to lead two other people to the Lord. And uh, so that that's just a blessing because, you know, you hear all the time how uh, street preaching doesn't work and it just, uh, you know, pushes people away. And, you know, we need to try different methods nowadays and things like that. And um, both of these people, uh, Emil was dealt with for at least a half hour and uh, Thomas was dealt with for over an hour on the street corner. And uh, both of them finally accepted Christ as their Savior. So uh, if the Lord gave us anything more than just Jennifer and I, it was just a blessing to be able to uh, be out there serving and see these people get saved. So I just thank the Lord just uh, what he's doing in our lives. And I just pray that he'll keep uh, keep just uh, allowing us to still be in the fight. Amen. Amen. I'm sure the rest of our panel, or at least one panel member in particular, is glad to have Matt back with us, since it's a lot more fun to pick on him when he's here, right, Steve? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so why don't you go ahead and, Steve, uh, Pastor Steve, give us an update or pick on Matt, uh, or both. It's your choice. <laughs> I can talk back this time, though. <laughs> yeah, <good. laughs> 
How was the cooking, by the way? Did you have to go out? Why did you have to go out to dinner last time? I, I, it was, never it, never it, mind. Don't, don't answer that. Don't answer that. <laughs> She's in the room. I can't answer her honestly. If you really, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, just to add on to uh, something Matt had mentioned, um, the last time we were on the podcast, we asked you to pray uh, for, uh, for me and uh, others that were going to be going out to uh, Chippewa Street. Yes. which is a uh, a street that's full of bars uh, on on either side it's, uh, it goes a few blocks long and uh, I guess it would be Buffalo's version of uh, Beale Street down in New Orleans and it's always uh, uh, a flood with with people and there's a place that we uh, we went it was the corner of Chippewa and Delaware and we had a chance to street preach down there and pass out some tracks, and we had, I think, um, let's see, there was seven of us that went down there, and uh, each of uh, the, the adults, anyway, got a chance to preach. We had three teenagers with us that passed out tracks. Uh, my son, Jason, uh, well, actually, before that, we had a gentleman come up to us. As, as Matt has said, we, uh, street preaching always gets a bad rap. We had a gentleman come up and, and shook all of our hands and thanked us for the work that we were doing. Uh, obviously, a lot of the people there uh, enjoying the nightlife weren't really appreciative of us being there. But there was a gentleman that walked by that was, I guess, amongst uh, the group there. And he uh, he had asked Jason uh, some questions, and Jason handed him a track and got a chance to witness to him and led him to the Lord. Amen. And uh, it was, uh, again, just another testimony that street preaching is not passe. It's still... Uh, Still a viable method, uh, and again, you really it's 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 a method in which to reach people that are not going to step inside of a church, especially a Bible believing church. And it's just a reminder that that there is a higher standard that God expects from people, and and uh, the lifestyle that they're living should be uh, given a a warning, at least anyway, that, that what they're doing is, is not godly, it's not right with God, and, and um, that there's a place uh, like hell to shun and a place like heaven to gain if they trust the Lord Jesus Christ, their Savior. I had an opportunity to talk with a fellow that uh, turned out to be a Jehovah Witness, but he'd never seen anything like what we were doing, and uh, handed a tra- uh, somebody handed a tract to him when I finished preaching on the corner uh, he was standing there reading it, and I asked him if he had uh, ever seen one of those before. He said no, and, and struck up a conversation, and then ended up witnessing to him for, for quite a while, gave him some things to think about, and a few other tracks to, for him to look at uh, and read as, as he had time. But he was a troubled man and, and uh, was going through some pretty heartache, uh, some heartache in his life, and, and uh, in, in his own way was looking for some answers. Uh, he wasn't about to, to give in to the, to the gospel at that present time, but you know, not every person that you witness to is going to get saved. And so you do what you can, uh, and give them a a witness, give them a gospel. And, uh, then the Holy spirit of God can do the work afterwards. Um, the following that was Friday on Sunday after church in the evening, uh, a town near us has a, a huge fireworks display, uh, display, and thousands of people come down to this. And it's in the, uh, I guess, in the middle of the city. They have a, they have their own uh, town park called Hamlin Park, and 
and we had 21 people, uh, counting some some kids that came along with us, and we passed out tracks at strategic points where people were were gathering or, or walking to the place where they could sit down and set up their lawn chairs and blankets and so forth. We passed out well over a thousand tracks, and uh, one gentleman from our group went back the next day and uh, picked up only 27 tracks that were discarded. So I thought that was a pretty good return for the number of tracks that we gave out. Uh, It was kind of interesting because, uh, you know, the Lord says, be wise as serpent, harmless as doves. And uh, we were handing out these patriotic-looking tracks and uh, just saying to people, enjoy the fireworks, enjoy the fireworks. And they were just taking them hand over fist. And uh, I had one lady stop me and says, now, what time do the fireworks start? <laughs> she, they all thought it was part of the program or whatever. But, uh, uh, you know, kind of told her, I said, well, I believe they started dark. So that's probably a good bet. <laughs> but anyway, it was, it was a good time. We had a good time with the people there that uh, uh, the people that we handed out the tracks with from our church were really excited about the reception that they received and uh, we've been praying and and um, begging God that He would do something with those tracks. You know, you never know. Uh, you know, God's word will not return to Him void; He'll accomplish the thing we're into. He sent it, so we're trusting God that uh, folks will read those tracks, and uh, uh, hopefully, by the grace of God, we'll hear that someone uh, trusted Christ as their Savior when we get up to glory. Amen. 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 All right. We're looking forward to hearing uh, the Bible study from Brother Eric tonight on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Eric, uh, perhaps before we uh, get into the Bible study, you could get, give us a little update as well. Sure. Well, let's see. What's new here? Um, you know, I got, I got a Bible dog. I don't know if we talked <laughs> about that last time. No. I don't think so. I no. Think, well, I got, I got the, I figured, you know what, if I'm going to get a dog... I want to try and be as scriptural about this as I possibly can be. <laughs> I can't wait for this. Well, now there's other people that have dogs. Steve, I know you have a couple of dogs. Yeah, I do. But They're definitely not Bible but, dogs. Yes. They, but they pray. They pray. <laughs> <laughs> they sing too, actually, don't they? <laughs> yes, they do. Go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry. But apparently they are not Bible dogs. Okay. Uh, and why do I say that, you ask? Yeah. Well, there's only one specific breed of dog mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, amen. Did you know that? I'm, we do I'm know. I'm bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the greyhound. Yep. And the that's, greyhound. that's uh, found uh, in, uh, and just well, so you don't think I'm making it up, that's found in Proverbs chapter 30. Yeah, you're right. And uh, let's see, starting in verse 29, there are three things which go well, yea, four are comely and going. A lion which is strongest among beasts. I thought that wouldn't really work out in my neighborhood. <laughs> And turneth not away for any. <laughs> a greyhound. <clears throat> and that's all it really says about it right there. But it's in that context. Yeah. Uh, and he goat also. I didn't really want one of those. <laughs> and a king. And we're in short supply here in the States. <laughs> against whom there is no rising up. So I figured, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a greyhound. I'll get a Bible dog. Mm-hmm. And... They're very unique dogs. They they really are. They're they're sight hounds, so you can't let them off leash. They have to be always in a, in a fenced in area or on a leash. And people always think, well, that's a really high strung dog because you know they're used to the dogs from the races. Which this dog is a, a racing dog from Florida. 
did 160 races. He's five years old. His name is Toby two times, but we just shortened it down to Toby. And just to clear it up, he's retired racing dog, right? <laughs> That's right. He is. He is a retired racing dog. He didn't race up here. I didn't. I didn't dog nap him. And, and he and, and he's not out racing him at the track and yeah. so just save your emails, all right? That's right. He was a dog that needed a home. He was yes. his re- re- retirement was in. You know, he was done racing, and uh, so I gave him one. So there's there's groups actually all around the U.S. that that uh, help find homes for these Bible dogs. Amen. And so uh, I took him on, but he doesn't bark. You know how those dogs you go to somebody's house and the dogs go yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> greyhounds. Being Bible dogs, they don't bark like that. They're, they're, Is that a reference know, to Brother Steve's I wouldn't Steve's know what house. that was like. I wouldn't know what that was like. <laughs> so he's he's he's, he's, a, he's a good companion, and um, and then he's just pretty. So the good. reason you don't let them off leash? Oh, uh, because what? they're sight hounds, and um, and because they're trained. Uh, not only trained, but it's also in their it's in their nature. If they see something, they can see like up to a mile away. Or is it a half mile? I don't know. Some incredible distance. If they see like a bag blowing down the street, they'll they'll think it's something moving, something that they could, some prey that they can go after, and they will. <laughs> and because they can run forty five miles an hour, um, they're gone, and you're not you're not going to catch them. And then if they get lost, when they get scared, they run. And what happens is they just get hit by cars, and, and yeah. that's not good. So you always have to have them on leash. But they're not. They they also call them forty five mile per hour couch potatoes. They're dogs that uh, they're content just to lay around and look at you and lay on their back and throw their feet up in the air, their paws up in the air, and and they're just he's just good. So do, do you take them out and run them yourself? Get a little exercise. Well, I have a backyard that uh, he'll do laps in, uh-huh. and uh, and he looks like he's smiling while he's doing. It. <laughs> it's, it's actually something to watch though because he he is fast. I did have a couple of squirrels in the backyard that. <laughs> Uh, were not used, were not, had never seen a greyhound. Apparently, they were able to taunt the other uh, mutts in the area. But uh, Toby looked at him and said, "Are you kidding me?" And his ears perked up, and he he chased one down, and it still had like five feet to go before it was going to hit the fence line. Picked it up and he gave it a good solid shake. And I guess I, I was talking to someone else that has greyhounds, and they said they do that because they try to snap their necks. Was you know, that, that. and I thought, you know, I've already told all my neighbors about my greyhound. What a great Bible dog he is! And here, here he's now going to dismember a squirrel in the backyard in front of the horror of the little children and everybody else. So, oh, man. so I'm thinking, oh, this is not going to go well. So he he shook the. Shook the squirrel, and then I thought, "Is he gonna like tear it apart now?" And he held it in his mouth, and I said, "Toby, come on, this isn't this isn't a good first impression for everyone." So he dropped it, and as soon as he dropped it, I you know I grabbed him by his collar and kind of walked away. The squirrel was not dead; didn't didn't snap its spine, and he was dazed though. He kind of staggered off, and he looked at us, and I said, "You better get going." <laughs> And so he uh, he did leave the area, and and you know what? I haven't seen a squirrel in our backyard since. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, so he's Is your fence large enough so that the uh, dog won't jump over. Well, the fence is actually only four feet high, but because they live such a regimented life from early on, they see a fence and they don't even think about jumping over. Okay, okay, which is pretty neat because okay. it's a it's not a substantial fence; it's just one of those wire fences. At least on two sides, it is. Amen. Amen. Well, and uh, Eric brought up the context of uh, 
the greyhound in the scriptures and in Proverbs where you read, um, it starts out, there be three things which go well, yea, four are comely in going. And it speaks to the, uh, the fact that it does run well and yes. the beauty of its running. So Amen. Uh, they were well aware of this. And of course, the Lord who created them knows uh, what they're going to be known for and what yeah, they can right. do. Now, you know, it's not named as a breed in the Bible, but um, we have, maybe I don't say a Bible dog, but we call it a scriptural dog <laughs> because it eats the crumbs from its master's table. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of those around. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, uh, now we got everybody up to date on uh, what's going on. How about on? you, though, uh, Pastor we're gonna, Strobel? How about you? Um, Eric, I, I thought I was going to be the guest host. You were the guest host, but okay. uh, can you tell Steve to, to, to get in line? <laughs> <laughs> or can I do that since I'm guest host? You can do that. I guess you're guest host. host. You can do whatever you want, brother. <laughs> yeah. Get in line, Steve. Okay, I'll shut <laughs> okay. up. I'll, I'll give a little update um, when we come back. But right now, All it's right. time for a, a little break on that's in the Bible. Don't go away. Can the Bible really be more advanced than modern science? Are there scientific discoveries that were found in the Bible centuries before? Are there yet other discoveries that the Bible already has revealed but modern science has yet to discover? Can the King James Bible really be more accurate than modern science? Find out the answers to these questions and discover some startling truths in episode number 12. Does the Bible out science, science? Only on fatsinthebible.com If Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel, then where did Cain get his wife? It's a question everyone asks about the Bible, at one point or another. Follow along with us, as we chart the answer, filled with unexpected twists and turns. In episode 30, Where Did Cain Get His Wife? Or, What's in a Generation? Only on FatsInTheBible.com Amen. In addition to the featured show on the uh, website, you can also look over on the uh, right-hand side and find the uh, archive shows. You can click on Index to All of Our sh- all Shows, uh, 1 to 50, or Index to All Our Shows, 51 to 100. Of course, we're... We're just starting that one. We're on 52 tonight, so there won't be a whole lot there. But uh, it's hard to believe you've done over 50 of them already. Uh, some of them Amen. before I got here and some after. But uh, a lot of diff- different and interesting topics, and encourage you to take a look in there. Um, all right. Um, to, to placate Pastor Steve, I'm going to give you an update on myself. Amen. All right. That'll do it. Now, moving right along. <laughs> uh, I've pretty much been up to what, we, what I've been up to since uh, last time. We're getting that much closer to youth camp, getting ready to head out there with young people. Um, we are maintaining our summer uh, ministry schedule, which includes uh, evangelizing and passing out tracts, holding up scripture signs, and doing a little bit of preaching down at the concert series uh, on Friday nights. Um, then we have our regular visitation on Saturday morning. And do our, our regular uh, street preaching in um, Lockport, which we've been doing for uh, many, many years now. Uh, and we do that uh, Saturday afternoon. So and we've had good participation. Certainly everybody uh, can't participate in all of them, but we have uh, different folks that come out to the different events. And uh, 
just appreciate the uh, folks in our church uh, hopping on board and helping with that. And had a good uh, have good uh, had a good opportunity downtown. Um, matter of fact, well, you could if you would just pray for a young man. His name is Dave. Uh, he responded um, to uh, our, our meetings down there. One of our one or two of our folks got to talk with them and left him the, his, their phone number and uh, he called back I think the next night and just well, he was in a mess and wanted to get out so uh, he's been coming to church and we've been working with him trying to help get him uh, established in the Lord get his feet on the ground and is, he's working on overcoming some things he's making some good progress uh, just got a job um, today uh, so if you would just remember to pray for Dave that uh, the Lord would give him victory and uh, he could uh, get his life heading in the right direction. Appreciate that. And um, on another note, uh, our state of New York uh, has recently, as no doubt all of you have heard, uh, legalized same-sex marriage. Mm. And uh, this is not a good thing for the state of New York and the mm. lawmakers. Yes, the lawmakers may think it a good thing, and uh, there's a lot of pressure on people to take what the politically correct position is and, and not speak against it, not say anything against it. Uh, this is, of course, co- totally contrary to the scriptures. In the beginning, God made a male and female. That's how you reproduce with male and female. God told them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. You can't do that if all you have is, is same-sex marriage, and, and they can't reproduce their own. They can only adopt uh, from um, a, a heterosexual marriage if they want to have children of their own. Um, you know, or in vitro fertilization, et cetera. But uh, it's not natural. It's against nature. It's against uh, the scriptures. It's against the Lord. Now, uh, it's a sin like uh, a lot of other sins in the scriptures, but I'll tell you what's going on and what's happened. Uh, this, the pushing of this agenda and the promotion of it um, through the media and through the educational system uh, in our country uh, has now made uh, little children, young children, think about this uh, whole subject uh, they have the young kids convinced that uh, there is a, a gay gene, that people have no choice in the matter. Our young people are thinking about it. They're talking about it. At our uh, concert series a couple of weeks ago, uh, we uh, took a walk and uh, found a, a group of young people gathered around a little bit away from the concert and began to deal with them. And the most overwhelming issue that was brought up was this gay thing. Uh, is it a sin to be gay? Um, is it a sin to be bisexual? One guy says, well, I'm gay. One guy says, well, I'm, uh, a little girl says, well, I'm, I'm bisexual. These are young teenagers I'm talking to. And uh, after, after a while, there's two girls there standing talking. And, and I, I finally said to him, I said, look, you, you guys are too young to have a sexual orientation. And, uh, and they agreed. Uh, one of them said, yeah, you're right. And uh, these folks, they ought to be thinking about having sex, let, let alone, you know, who they're going to have it with. Um, but it's really, it's really caused our young people to have to think about things that they ought not to think about and, uh, and get images in their minds they ought not to have, uh, try to probe their probe questions about themselves and, and ask questions about themselves that were never there until it was educated into them. And so uh, we would ask you to pray for our state, pray for our country. In my prayers, I've just been reminding the Lord that it wasn't us that did this. It wasn't the Christians. It wasn't even the people. Well, the people didn't put it. It wasn't put to a, a referendum on a ballot for the people, although um, some folks are going to take a stand and try to encourage the lawmakers to do that, to put, it, to put the vote to the people. But it was a political agenda 
uh, pushed and shoved and and um, essentially just imposed upon us. And so we ask for your prayers and uh, maybe some of our other guests tonight have something to say about this. Our other other regulars, I should say. I don't know. I think you've summed it up pretty well. <clears throat> well, it's, it's, I guess I could say this, that uh, there was a, a politician from our area that was, that ran on the on the stump saying that he was against uh, gay marriage and then uh, as soon as the issue came up he tried to affirm that he was still against it and then uh, as the uh, days grew on and and uh, the governor of our state governor Cuomo uh, was pushing hard for it <clears throat> he finally this this gentleman from our district or district near us uh, finally caved in and and gave some pious reason as to, you know, not wanting to discriminate and so forth. And his mind had been changed, but um, you could almost sense the the political pressure that yes. was put on him and deal making and all that kind of stuff going on to get across the thing that uh, our governor uh, had promised to have passed in our state. And um, you know, supposedly there were certain uh, uh, provisos uh, to this bill that were to protect preachers, uh, ministers from having to perform them and, and having lawsuit brought against them if they didn't. Uh, but that'll be the next thing on their target, uh, the target that they'll aim for next. Uh, they're not satisfied with what they have right now. Uh, they're just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I'm talking about the gay rights agenda, uh, groups. They're just going to keep pushing until they finally box us into a corner where they they force us to accept or face the ultimate thing, which is a hate crime. And uh, we won't be able to speak about it. We won't be able to preach about it. We won't be able to say anything against them, either from the scriptures or for your own opinion. And uh, it's uh, it's getting pretty uh, pretty messed up. So. Again, as Pastor Strobel said, uh, pray for us over here. Man. <clears throat> yeah, I, I remember when uh, we found out about it. Jennifer and I were on our honeymoon, and uh, my birthday was uh, <clears throat> June 24th. And if I'm not uh, mistaken, that's when it actually passed here in New York State. And I found out the day day after, and, and I felt pretty sick about it, you know. And it's just, uh, it's amazing, you know. You see California, I mean, they, they passed it, and then they what vetoed it. And, uh, you know, you, for me anyway, I think that California is in worse shape spiritually than we are. And uh, and they vetoed it. And now New York State here has uh, has passed it. So uh, it just kind of shows you what shape our state is in. And uh, for those even not in New York State, maybe not even the U.S. that are listening to this, if you'll pray not only for your country, your state, but also for our state as well, because uh, we're we got some trouble coming. Um, you know, people ask me at work sometimes. I have to be real careful, of course, about what they, what my answer is. Um, but people that I know, um, I just give them scripture and I say, listen, um, God created, um, you know, a family, uh, male and female at the beginning. And that's what it's supposed to be. And when you bring in anything else, it's not, uh, it's not by God and you can't call it marriage because God was the one that instituted marriage. And uh, the other thing I say to them, because most say, well, you know, it's not fair to put down somebody else and say, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's not, you know, the biggest thing that I get is you're, it's not affecting you. 
But the problem is it's going to affect us, and it already is affecting us. And uh, you see uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened there, um, you know, with that homosexual homosexual behaviors going on there. Uh, what happened was God had to rain down fire and brimstone. And uh, he might not do that here in New York State, rain down fire and brimstone. But I can tell you what, uh, if he doesn't do something soon, uh, like, like people have said before, uh, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, so I'm just, uh, you know, praying to the Lord just uh, to do something here in New York State, maybe bring revival, um, something that happens just so that we can uh, live a little bit longer here with our rights to be able to preach and, and be able to see some people get saved. Amen. And that's that's one thing to keep in mind. The battle is the Lord's, and, yeah. and God's not unaware of what's going on. And uh, they are really just holding him in contempt. They're holding his uh, statutes in contempt, his His word and and the lord knows that and and he'll he will do what he wants to do about the thing and they can vilify the people that are against it and they can call them names and slander them and put pressure on them and uh, make everybody afraid to to speak up and say you know what the truth is on the subject or make a lot of people afraid to do that but uh god's god'll have his last word on the thing right. amen amen he'll he'll do what he wants to do we we won't even have to do anything just keep the same position we've already already had and amen um you know it's still good to be saved. Amen. And it's good to be clean. It's kind of weird, you know, the um, the people in our generation today, the kids, the guys and the girls, they want to hook up and live together and not get married. The homosexuals, you know, if they were if they were doing that, they'd want to shack up, but because they can't, they want to get married. Yeah. You know, and, it's good. Uh, and and fulfill that thing. Um but again, it's it's uh, just it's way out and uh left field as far as the, the truth is concerned. And look, uh, we believe people have a free will mm-hmm. and people can do what they want to do, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you have to make everything legal. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, people have free will. They can choose to do drugs. It's not legal. You know, little kids, uh, young kids, underage kids can choose to drink. It's not legal. Yeah. You know, um, to, to make it legal is to make everybody, you want to make everybody think it's okay. And again, um, you know, the Lord will have the last word, and we still just uh, want you to keep our state in prayer, keep our country in prayer, and uh, ask the Lord to give us liberty to um, do right, live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That's what he said, uh, That's right. Paul said to Timothy, until Jesus comes. Amen. Amen. All right. Anything to add, Brother Eric? No, Mike. That's, okay. That's, that says it. All right, then uh, regarding tonight's study, uh, Eric, uh, you're ready. I'm ready. Oh, wait, 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 that was supposed to be a question. Are, <laughs> you, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> All right, without further ado, then let's have uh, episode 52. Okay, well, thank you very much. And uh, to get started, let's go ahead and open a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'd guide and direct me, Lord, today. I pray that you'd help me to say what it is that you'd like me to say, Lord, to help me to be clear, and Lord, that uh, just to help that this study might be a benefit to someone else. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to take a look at the role that the blood plays in the Bible, and uh, in particular we're going to culminate uh, with talking about the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross at Calvary. Now, it's a funny thing about the blood. Some people, they tend to be very squeamish about blood. And you know that, uh, I'm sure you may even know people that will faint at the sight of blood. I, I happen to know of a nurse, for example, who gets very faint 
not a little bug, but if she says that if she sees a lot of blood, she she could pass out. So good thing she doesn't have a job that she sees often a lot of blood. But blood and, and medicine go hand in hand and have for a long time. And uh, I'm sure many of you heard this, but in early American history, bloodletting was used as a treatment for a variety of illnesses, uh, leading often sometimes to the death of the patient. Even George Washington, it's been said that uh, his death was a contributing factor of bloodletting in an attempt to, to help him to get well. And even medical tests, tests, I can't say that word, even medical textbooks as recently as 1942 advocated the practice of bloodletting, bloodletting as a treatment for pneumonia. Now, heathen cultures, of course, have used the practice of blood and drinking blood. The Mayan culture, for example, who I guess has been in the news and a lot of talk about the Mayan calendar lately and and some purported prophecy it pretends to show. But uh, the Mayan culture, they've, they've offered sacrifices of blood and, and even gone so far as to cut out the, the beating heart, still pumping blood. And as you know, the drinking of blood isn't confined to ancient pagan practices. We have a worldwide religion today, the Roman Catholic Church, and I don't think I'm telling any secrets. They'll tell you themselves that they have a ceremony called the Mass, not found in the Bible, where the Catholic priest has the power to change wine into the actual blood of Jesus Christ, or so they say. A gross misinterpretation, of course, of John chapter 6. And then their followers are told that they are drinking actual blood, supposedly the, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is way off on a lot of different uh, scriptures, but just one would be the contradiction of scriptures that you are forbidden to drink any blood. And that's uh, before the law, found in Genesis 9-4, under the law in Leviticus 17-14, and even after the law in Acts 15-29. Now, this is not to say that the blood of Jesus Christ is not important, because it certainly is, as we'll see today. And it's also, you know, worth noting that why is it that the new Bibles attack the blood and the blood references to Jesus Christ? You're saying, really? I've never noticed that. Well, it may be because you're reading from a mistranslation of the Bible instead of the King James Bible, the authorized version. You know, the new mistranslations, they render Colossians 1.14 very differently than the King James. And, for example, the King James in Colossians 1.14 says, "...in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins." Here talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. The NIV reads, "...in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." What? What, what happened to through his blood? Well, the NIV, the NASV, the RSV, the NRSV, they all remove the words through his blood. You ever noticed it in the new hymn books? If you're reading or singing from a new hymn book, it may have been a long time, if ever, that you've sang about the blood. They have the emphasis on praise and remove most, if not all, mention of the redeeming power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? 
And what is the fascination with blood today? You're saying, what are you talking about? Well, I, you must be living under a rock. It's, it's pretty hard not to notice the fascination with blood, uh, particularly among our young people and sometimes our not-so-young people. They're reading books, they're watching movies, all based on vampires. So what is that all about? Why the, uh, the pagan practices involving blood? And then when you have um, the important scriptures related to the blood of Jesus Christ and the power that it has, why are those attacked? And then, why, why the fascination with blood in our society? Well, what does the Bible say about blood? Well, the Bible calls it the life of the flesh. In Leviticus 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Leviticus 17, 14, just a few verses down. For it is the life of all flesh. The blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not eat the blood of no manner of flesh, For the life of all flesh is in the blood, whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. There's one of the scripture references related back to the not eating or drinking of blood. So, the life is in the blood, or through the blood. And although that's true of all flesh, there can be no life without the blood. And today we're going to look at specifically the human blood and human life. So all human beings are united through their blood. I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, it's been said. It's an old saying that, you know, if you, if you cut a man, whether he's black or white or whatever you might be, he's going to bleed red. So we all have that blood in common. And the Bible says in Acts 17, beginning in verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, Neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath, and all things hath made of one blood of all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation. So that verse says a lot, but one of the things I want to draw your attention to is how it focuses on made of one blood all nations of men. It says that, The one thing which really relates all men to each other is the blood that flows in their veins. All men are of one blood. And that one blood was the blood of Adam, the first man. So if we all share the life-giving power of blood, what about death? Where does that come from if the life of the flesh is in the blood? Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Since life is in the blood, according to the scriptures, and the wages of sin is death, sin has affected the blood of Adam and caused him to die. Because the blood of all men partake of the sin of Adam. So as you recall from Genesis 2, God created Adam and Eve, placed them in the Garden of Eden with just one admonition. Let's read about it in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 
So in Genesis 3, you can read of Eve's and then Adam's transgression of God's commandment as they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when you read that, you'll notice they did not drop dead physically on the spot, but spiritually they did die, and physically death was introduced. Genesis 3, 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And in verse 17, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Now for some insight into other things that took place, be sure to check out our very first episode, Body, Soul, and Spirit. So all men are blood relatives of Adam's. Whether they be white or black, Jew or Gentile, whatever. Their blood carries the sentence of death because of Adam's sin. And for this reason, all men die a common death. Remember, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So if man must die, it's because there's death in the blood. Adam's sin corrupted the blood of the entire human family. And death was introduced physically and spiritually. So everyone born today shares that tainted death-bearing blood problem. The question is, how do you fix the problem of the tainted blood and get back the life-giving blood that's without corruption, that's without sin that came from Adam, which has not been polluted? Remember, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Now, religions of the world, they have the answer, and man of kind of the world has the answer. Religions, for example, will tell you that, you know what? To be right with God, you have to have, and to have eternal life, you must follow their religion. For example, you must be a good Catholic. If you've done any street work or public witness, you've heard folks say to you, I was born a Catholic and I'll die a Catholic. I like what one preacher said. He said, well, first of all, you were born a baby. And you, you'll die a dead Catholic and go straight to hell if you don't do something about the blood. So it's a blood problem. Being a Catholic doesn't have anything to do with it. Why would you even think it would? Others tell you that you must be a good Muslim and martyr yourself for the promise of virgins and virgins in heaven to be right with God. But how does that deal with the corrupt blood problem? Others say that you must live a good life. That's the way. I, I, how does that deal with the corrupt blood problem? Well, some say, you know what? Be a Christian. If you live as a Christian, whether it's a Baptist or Methodist, or, or maybe if you're brought up in a good Christian home, then you're going to be okay. But again, that doesn't solve the blood problem. Others say that if you do good and believe in God, you know, then your good's going to outweigh your bad and you're going to be okay. But you still have that corrupt blood flowing through your veins. How does that help? Remember, the devil believes and also trembles. Others have said that what man really needs and longs for is to find the fountain of youth. The world is youth-obsessed, and there's no doubt about that, because you look at the, the people using plastic surgery now to try and stay youthful, and, and the emphasis on exercise regimes and, and diet books, and, and really our whole culture is focused on youth. But 
all of those methods aren't going to help you. Because death is still going to come, and physically and spiritually it still takes its toll. Eternal youth is not found through the quest for a fountain of youth, but rather a fountain of blood. A fountain of pure, untainted, life-giving blood to replace our fallen and corrupt blood. So, how does, how does that work? Well, here's how it applies to us. It's now definitely known that the blood which flows in an unborn baby's arteries and veins does not come from the mother, but is produced within the body of the fetus. It's only after the sperm has entered the ovum and a fetus has begun to develop that blood appears. If you've been in an elementary science class, you've, you've seen the picture um, of, for example, an unfertilized egg of a hen. Now, if you incubate an unfertilized hen's egg, it never develops. It'll dry up and there'll be no chick inside. But let the egg be fertilized and incubation will bring to light the presence of life in an embryo. And after a few hours, it visibly develops it. In a little while, red streaks occur denoting, denoting the presence of blood. And I know in many schools, um, elementary school children, they do that very thing. They, they take the eggs, and, and I think it's called candling, that they can see the uh, embryo begin to develop. And you can see those red streaks, the blood begin to, to, to uh, flow. But did you know that the developing embryo in the human womb also never shares blood with the mother? Now, the mother provides the fetus with the nutritive elements for the building of that uh, body. But all the blood which forms in the, in the embryo and the fetus is formed in the embryo itself. So from the time of conception to the time of birth of the infant, not one single drop of blood ever passes from mother to the child. All the blood which is in that child is produced within the child itself. The mother contributes no blood at all. And you can look that up. You can find that pretty pretty easily. So that's how God has made a provision for us for untainted blood. We've seen that when God created woman, he's, he's made her so that no blood would be able to pass from her to her offspring. So if the mother's blood doesn't, originate with the mother, then, for example, in our Lord Jesus Christ, where did his blood come from? So in order to produce a sinless man who would yet be the son of Adam, God has provided a way that a human body could be derived from Adam, but have blood from a separate source, God's blood, which is fascinating, I think, because you know, for many, many, many years, modern man didn't know that. It's only recently that we've been able to discover that. In Matthew one eighteen, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now notice that this virgin conceiving a child and bearing a son called Emmanuel, or meaning God with us, is a prophecy from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14, hundreds of years earlier, all the way back from 742 B.C. 
And for me, that's just another proof of the, of the validity of the Bible, that, that all these old prophecies separated by hundreds of years would, would come true down to very precise points like this. So conception by the Holy Ghost was the only way that the virgin birth could be accomplished while Mary physically nourished the body of Jesus and he became the seed of David according to the flesh. It's through the Holy Spirit that the blood was contributed, that it's it's, it's sinless blood, it's divine blood, it's uncontaminated blood. Even Judas Iscariot knew that. In Matthew 27, beginning in verse 3, it says, Bible says, then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, and then I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. So our Lord was innocent. Instead of being conceived physically by a human father, he was conceived by a divine father. As a result, biologically, he had God's blood, innocent blood, sinless blood. Sin makes human blood corruptible. If you've ever uh, been around a dead body, you, you would know that. Soon after death, decay sets in, and it begins in the blood. And that's why meat must be drained well of its blood, because it can go rancid. And that's why embalmers, they place embalming fluid in the body and remove the blood. Now, David said that Jesus' body should not see corruption. Though he was dead three days and three nights, his body did not corrupt because there was no corruption in his blood. That is why he did not die as a result of the crucifixion. You're thinking, what? I thought he was crucified and died on the cross. It's true, he did die on the cross, but because he was sinless, they could not put him to death. But instead, he laid down his life voluntarily that he might take it up again. So what about the Bible? What does it say about the blood of Jesus Christ? We've seen that the mistranslations of the Bible, they attack the, the blood references to Jesus Christ and his power and his work through the blood. But what is that just a few verses? Well, let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In 1 Peter 1, 18-19, it says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What about the singing in heaven about the blood? The Bible says in Revelation 5, 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Romans 5, 9 says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, speaking of Jesus Christ. Why the attacks on the blood? Why did the new mistranslations of the Bible attack the blood? Ephesians 2:13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Hebrews 13:12. Wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. 
Hebrews 10.19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, the blood applied is essential. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things by the law purge with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. So those are just some of the verses concerning the blood of Christ mentioned in the New Testament, and there are many more. What about Old Testament? Is the importance of the blood just a recent New Testament doctrine? Let's take a look at 1 Peter 1.18-19, for here we have a connection to the blood sacrifices that if you've spent any time at all reading the Old Testament, you know are, are, are through and through the Old Testament. And it's also a picture of the final blood fulfillment through Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. So 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So let's take a look at some Old Testament examples of the importance of the blood. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And we read that as we started the podcast in this lesson. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Even in the Old Testament book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, do you know what the very first sacrifice was? It gives us the picture of the blood. God himself killed an animal and clothed Adam and Eve with skin. Genesis 3, verse 21. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. So the first recorded sacrifice in the Bible is, is right there, Genesis 3.21. And that verse teaches, uh, teaches us that after Adam sinned, God supplied an animal and shed its blood. How else could you have the skin? And use the skin as a covering for Adam and Eve's nakedness. So in this one brief record here in Genesis 3.21, we have really the plan for scriptural sacrifices. So we have in the Bible, and I know we've mentioned it on this podcast, uh, one of the podcasts before, about the law of first mention, meaning that the first use of a word or a phrase in the Bible gives its, its meaning elsewhere in the Word of God. So if we take a look at Genesis 3.21, we find that it teaches three things. Remember, 3.21 says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So it teaches, one, salvation must be of the Lord. Two, it must be by the death of an innocent substitute. And three, it must be by blood. So every acceptable sacrifice must meet those three conditions. It can't be uh, man's work. It has to be God's work. It can't be God's a man's provision. It's got to be God's provision. It can't be like, for example, the fig, fig leaves of, of man's own righteousness, but bloody skins of God's providing. So every true sacrifice mentioned in Scripture has those three essential features. Take a look, for example, in the situation with Cain and Abel. We find that Abel's sacrifice met the condition of Genesis 3.21. 
whereas Cain's did not. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. So what was the difference in the offerings? Well, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground no blood, and Abel brought a firstling of his flock, a blood offering. No blood, no respect. End of argument. Cain's offering was rejected. Abel's offering was accepted. What about after the flood? What about Noah? Well, the first thing Noah did was to offer blood sacrifice. Take a look in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast, and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. Just as Abel brought a blood sacrifice, so did Noah. When God began calling out the, the nation of Israel, and remember when Abraham took his son Isaac and they went up to Mount Moriah, even Isaac knew that there had to be a blood offering because he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? You'll find that in Genesis 22, verse 7. That was when God had told Abraham to offer Isaac. But when Abraham raised his knife, God said, and I'll begin reading here in Genesis 22, verse 12, and he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. <clears throat> now, after the time of Abraham, the Hebrew people, remember, went down into Egypt during the Great Famine, because there was food in Egypt. And they grew into a great nation there, and Pharaoh enslaved them. And God called Moses to lead them out of Egyptian slavery back into the Promised Land. So, But remember, the night before the Hebrews left Egypt, God said that he would send death to the firstborn children of the Egyptians. And that was a judgment from God given because Pharaoh would not let the Hebrews go. And, but that night, God told Moses to institute the Passover. And God told Moses to have the Hebrews put the blood of a lamb on two sides, on the, on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of their houses. Exodus 12 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Again, the use of the blood. The Old Testament laws are replete with blood sacrifices. You can't spend any time in the Old Testament without observing the prominence and the picture of the blood sacrifices. Leviticus 4, beginning in verse 3, If the priest that is anointed do sin according to the sin of the people, then let him bring for his sin, which he hath sinned, a young bullock without blemish unto the Lord for a sin offering. And he shall bring the bullock unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. 
and shall lay his hand upon the bullock's head, and kill the bullock before the Lord. And the priest that is anointed shall take of the bullock's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. Now the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament were only a picture of the ultimate sacrifice when Jesus Christ went to the cross almost 2,000 years ago. He was the ultimate sacrifice. Hebrews 10 says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. With the final blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood problem began in Genesis through began in Genesis through Adam is finally cleared up. Jesus Christ, the last Adam, has made a way for us to be reconciled to God through his blood. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Well, what about you? Do you know for sure that when you die, you will go to heaven. If you say yes, I think so. It's because I tried to live a good life. I tried to do good things and believe in God. Then, friend, you still have a problem. James 2.19, as we mentioned before, thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You know, believing a, a, in a good life and believing in God in general is not going to fix the corrupt blood that is flowing through your veins. Since Adam transgressed the command of God all the way back in the Garden of Eden. You know, being a Catholic, a Methodist, a Hindu, a Muslim, even calling yourself a Baptist, no matter how sincere you are, will not help you. So what's the answer? How do you get that blood applied? John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's pretty specific. It's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You know, without trusting in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are going to die and spend an eternity in the lake of fire. God did not accept Cain's bloodless offering, and God will not accept your bloodless offering of your own good works or your own religiosity. First John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us, cleanseth us from all sin. I have trouble saying that. So in summary, we have seen today, and this really the short study, really just a, an introduction to the importance of the blood that the life of the flesh is in the blood, that all mankind shares a common blood source, source which stems from Adam. So all of us die today because there is death in the blood. And Adam's sin corrupted the blood of the entire human family, and death was introduced physically and spiritually. We've seen the importance of the blood, as mentioned in the New Testament and the many verses that we looked at, and how the Old Testament use of sacrifices pictured the final blood sacrifice of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. So, what about you, friend? Where do you stand with the blood? Are you trusting in your own religiosity? Again, this was really just an introduction to the blood. Um, There's much more that can be said about the the blood and the work that Jesus Christ accomplished and uh, the, the Old Testament pictures of the blood. 
But amen. Thanks for listening and hope that was a, was a help. Amen. Thanks, Brother Eric. Uh, good amen. job on a great subject. Amen. Uh, Pastor Steve. Well, amen, boy. That was a, that was a good study, good, uh, good scriptures, well thought out, well put together. Uh, just a couple of things that was brought to mind. Uh, you talked about it being God's blood. And, man, that's a, just a marvelous thought. The scripture says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. And to all the flock of uh, all the flock over which the Holy Ghost made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He has purchased with His own blood, and of course Amen. that's God's blood. And then just another verse uh, that that kind of coincides with that, uh, which is just a, a real blessing, and talking about what Jesus Christ did for us in Romans chapter uh, three, in verse twenty-four. Start there. It says, "Being justified freely." by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set, uh, set forth to be the propitiation, which means the substitute, which is what Eric was talking about, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Um, verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law, so it's faith in his blood. And, and Eric put it well, but I just uh, add those verses as reinforcement to what he's already said. It's a real blessing to know that, that what Jesus Christ did, he became our substitute. We couldn't do it ourselves. Yeah. It's not a church. It's not anything that, that man can do. God had to, to make a sub or be a substitute for us. And that's, that, that substitute is, is realized by faith in his blood. Amen. And amen, Eric. That was a good job. Praise the Lord. Amen. amen. Brother Matthew. Amen. That was a real good study. And and that's a big thing, when, especially when the street corner, we, we preach a lot about the blood, you know, because it's, it's the only thing that can save. It's his precious blood. And, and I was just reading my daily Bible reading um, today. Um, in Mark chapter two, if you turn there in Mark chapter two, you know I'm uh, I'm in the medical field and uh, I don't go to the surgery centers as much as I used to, and uh, but I'd see a lot of blood and uh, you know when somebody's going to have uh, hip replacement or any kind of surgery done, of course the surgeons will open them up with a scalpel, uh, but when you go in there, uh, you better hope that you're in a sterile environment. And uh, when I looked at this, you know, sometimes when I read the Bible, maybe if you're a little bit closer, maybe um, I know Steve, he's a, he's a welder. My dad's a counselor. Maybe if you are reading the Bible and it's kind of close to what you do every day, you kind of pay attention more to those subjects. And, and when I hit this in Mark chapter 2, it caught my eye just because it has to do with uh, kind of the medical field. But Mark chapter 2 and verse 16 says, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him, that's Jesus Christ, eat with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners repentance. And uh, Jesus Christ likens those that are sick, those that uh, need a physician, uh, just as much as to those that are sinners. Uh, just like you and I, everybody in this whole world, we're sinners, we're sick. We need a physician, and that's Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, when I think about that, when the, you know, when you're going to go for some surgery, you better be in a sterile environment. And, uh, you know, you, you hear a lot about people that die day in and day out um, at these uh, third world countries because they trusted in these surgeons uh, to be able to heal them. And what they would have to do, though, is they'd have to open them up. 
but they're not in a sterile environment. And, you know, when you can, when you have a surgeon that knows what he's doing, yeah, he might be able to open somebody up. He might be able to go in there, uh, try and fix the problem, close them back up. You might think, okay, he's doing pretty good. But what's going to happen is infection is going to sit in and, uh, and the person is going to die and be worse off than he was before. And what I want to say uh, in closing here is that anything else other than the pure blood of Jesus Christ, it doesn't have anything that would corrupt it. You know, it's just the precious, pure blood of Christ, uncorruptible. Anything else is just going to cause death. You know, mm-hmm. you think about all these people that go to other religions. They go to the Catholic Church, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. They try and go into a church, try and do good works. Uh, those are not sterile fields. <laughs> the only thing that's going to save you is Jesus Christ, the great physician, and his sterile field is that blood. And when he cleanses that blood, when he washes away your sins in that blood, uh, that's sterile. And it's going to keep you and it's going to heal you uh, forever, and you'll never die. So praise the Lord for the blood. Amen. 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 As uh, Eric mentioned, it is a vast subject in the scriptures, and there's certainly a whole lot of material. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with Romans 5, 8, which says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Right after that, uh, the next verse says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And that's why it's such an important issue when you look at all these verses about uh, the blood of Jesus Christ and the redemption. It's such, why it's such an important issue when they remove the blood from Colossians 1.14 in the modern Bibles uh, because it's the blood that saves. Mm-hmm. So if you remove the blood from the verse, you're removing the saving element and you're giving um, people that read those Bibles a, a watered down, literally watered down version of yeah. the book and the plan of salvation. And uh, it's, it hinders people from getting saved instead of helping them to get saved. And that's a strong case against those uh, new Bibles, as Brother Eric was mentioning. Another thing uh, blood does is it, it makes uh, peace. It makes us, brings us to peace with God in Colossians mm. one twenty. And I'm um, not sure if this one, you mentioned this one, you're going with a lot of them, and some of them I picked up and uh, noted. But, but uh, just to reiterate, if you did, but it says, uh, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. And so he made us, he brought us to peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. And if I give one final thought, I'll tell you something that uh, has been real important to me just in my own um, understanding and just the, the practical application of this thing is in uh, Hebrews 9, verse 14. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works Mm. to serve the living God? The blood has the power to purge the conscience so that the conscience isn't bothered by past sin. And not that that we don't care about it and we just go out and flippantly commit it. No, it, it, it heals our conscience so that we don't have to be hung up on what we've done in the past. We're free uh, to, to be freed from those dead works and to serve the living God. And a lot of people that get hung up on the past and doubt their salvation or just can't get over something in the past, what they need is they need a, a good grip, grasp and a good understanding, a good, good grip on the blood of Jesus Christ. Because um, even, even people's memories of bad things that happened to them in the past and that, that they go to try to deal with sometimes even with psychiatrists and so forth, um, a good understanding of the blood and just allowing the blood to do its cleansing and purging work would help you to get over the past and get on with the future and serve God. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Well, Amen. good job, Brother Eric. And, uh, Amen. 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 I don't know what else to do. This is the first time I've closed the program. <laughs> it's ready for everything else. Um, I guess the music will start playing, and we'll say goodbye. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. See you, Lord willing, uh, back next time. And uh, next time we should be hearing Lord willing from uh, Matthew. Is that right? That's right. Amen. All right. That'll be his first post-marital Bible study. <laughs> on That's in the Bible. He's you won't do want it to on marriage, it. I'm sure. Right? Actually, no. It's going to be on uh, father-in-laws and how to be a great father. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to use me as a model case, right? Uh, I was hoping you would listen intently. <laughs> if you need Pick up score. some pointers here and there, you know. I don't know about pointers, but if you need to score any points, you could do it on he that uh, findeth a wife find a, a good thing. That yeah, is very amen. true. Amen. 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 That is for sure. You know, and I, I've said it to a bunch of people, you know, the Lord's definitely blessed me so much, and, and Jennifer's definitely a girl that I don't deserve. So the Lord's definitely got... Uh, He's got uh, grace, that's for sure. Amen. All right, I guess that silence means that we're going to close out, and we'll, Lord, uh, Lord willing, see everybody again next time. Until then, press on. This has been a production of the That's in the Bible podcast. To leave a comment or to ask a question, visit our website at thatsinthebible.com or email us at thatsinthebible at gmail.com or call our listener feedback voicemail at 716-584-1611. Again, that's 716-584-1611. As always, thanks for listening and press on. You better say your prayers, you flea-bitten varmint!